Welcome to our podcast, The Gen Z Debate, investigating and debating issues of our future. In this podcast, we bring together individual subject knowledge to discuss questions that our generation faces about our future, including climate change, life-changing technologies, the political and economic landscape, and the scientific reasoning behind them. Today, we'll be discussing an exciting hot topic that could immensely change our lives with long-term effect, the metaverse. Now, we will try our best to explain what the metaverse is, how it will work, the technology behind it, and its potential impact on the world from our point of view, and a lot more. So, talking about what the metaverse is and addressing this question head on, um, I think is immensely important at the start of this episode. So, Manav, could you explain to us what the metaverse is and why anyone cares about it? Yeah, sure. So... The metaverse is a proposed change in how we interact with the world and our technology through both three-dimensional virtual reality, which we'll be referring to as VR, and augmented reality, which we'll refer to as AR. In this episode, we will focus on VR, but in the next, we'll discuss AR. So virtual reality, or VR, which has gained some popularity in the gaming industry, is a technology that uses a headset device worn over the eyes to project oneself into various virtual worlds and interact with virtual spaces, games, design models, and more. The term metaverse has recently gained huge popularity since Facebook, who own Instagram, WhatsApp, and many more, renamed themselves to Meta in late 2021, representing a change in their goal as a company. So the CEO of Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, suggested that the era of tech in typed communication, physical devices, and even mobile phones should be nearing their end in pursuit of a new vision, a new immersive platform and form factor, the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg's official statement said, the defining quality of the metaverse will be a feeling of presence, like you are right there with another person or in another place. Feeling truly present with another person is the ultimate dream of social technology. That is why we are focused on building this. In the metaverse, you'll be able to do almost anything you can imagine. Get together with friends and family, work, learn, play, shop, create, as well as completely new experiences that don't really fit how we think about computers or phones today. Okay, so I'm hearing this, lots of this for a second or third time, but the first time I heard about this and the metaverse as a concept, I definitely had mixed opinions about it and i'm sure lots of our listeners um and if we have any and lots of the people um looking at this technology will have mixed opinions about the concept and a general fear in the direction in which the technology is taking us because we saw the impacts of technology um in one of our previous episodes talking about Neuralink. so there are benefits to this technology and um perhaps you could dive into those a little bit Yeah, we'll definitely be discussing both sides of this argument today, but it first should be mentioned that the term and concept of the metaverse wasn't actually coined by Meta. Many sources suggest it was first established in Neil Stevenson's 1992 sci-fi novel, Snow Crash, based on a world that undertook the same concept. But it is largely now becoming highly mainstream due to Meta's announcement, as well as media growth around the subject. So when we mention the term the metaverse, we are not just referring to Meta's creation, it is the concept itself that we are referring to. Okay, so this is, as you've uh, talked about Zuckerberg's promise for Meta, what the metaverse will be able to offer us as consumers. 
And we, we can break this down, the definition of virtual reality as a broader concept pretty easily. Um, it, will, it will take a while, so just bear with me. But virtual reality is an all-enveloping, artificial and fully immersive experience that obscures the natural world. And I think that's something that's key that you can explain the science behind that. Yeah. So, yeah, when we put on a VR headset, which has two individual screens covering most of our field of view, it provides separate images for each eye, creating the illusion of a 3D world with depth. Isolating each eye like this and projecting a different image to each one is called stereoscopics, just like 3D glasses in cinema, which use light polarization techniques. With the combination of sound effects and more sensory triggers in the future, we can trick our senses into thinking we are in that virtual environment as opposed to our natural one, at least to a certain extent. The concept of complete immersion, however, we can discuss. And there are some ways, some fun ways to test this out. And I have a VR headset at home um, that my dad got, and we set up a great game on it called Walk the Plank. And we actually did have a wooden plank. And anyway, we let this friend run the game through the headset while being positioned on the plank. And they were genuinely screaming as they thought to such a great extent that they were going to fall off the building due to that um, sort of, as it's semi-immersive VR, which we'll get onto in a second, we were able to manipulate the real world and use VR to create that sort of perhaps like complete immersion that you've just described. But going back to the definition, this rather anecdotal example does prove um, to be sort of a very immersive experience, although I'm sure most people will still know that they're just wearing a VR headset. So is it really VR if it's not completely obscuring the natural world, as this definition suggests? Um, And this is where we can differentiate between the three types of VR. So firstly, we have non-immersive VR, and everyone will be familiar with this. And this is where a virtual environment exists, but the user remains fully aware and controlled by their physical environment. So when we're playing video games, looking through a monitor, we are interacting with um, a virtual world, but obviously we're sat there playing a video game and we're completely immersed in our physical environment with just the sole ability to look and hear about that virtual environment. And then one step further is semi-immersive VR. And this is an experience partially based on a virtual environment, but may include physical components. So flight simulators for pilots in training or that walk the plank that I just talked about. And obviously, Manav, you're the one on this podcast who does a great job of advertising the possible, the ideal. And so would you mind explaining to our listeners what fully immersive VR is, please? Because I don't think we've reached that yet. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So... Fully immersive VR is what Meta and other developers may potentially look to create beyond the VR's initial goals and productivity, connectivity, and leisure, for example. And we likely won't have the complete set of this in commercial products for a while due to the technological difficulty and the expense setbacks. But the concept suggests that we would be completely immersed in the virtual environment as it interacts with all of our senses. And this sounds amazing to experience where possibilities of its uses could include truly connecting loved ones from across the world within seconds, uh, medical surgeons operating on patients across the globe with complete presence, and much more. However, it is obvious that complete immersion will have safety concerns, something we will discuss later in this episode. One thing to note here 
is the question of our awareness of the natural environment, which you could call the real world. As presumably, when you're fully immersed in a virtual world, you're not really aware of an alternative environment, which is the real world. I'm not sure if that's even something we would want as part of our goals of complete immersion. I don't I don't know if we'd want to be convincing people that they're in the only uh, only world that exists, a virtual one. And if it is possible, that could certainly get scary. And it raises the reoccurring simulation argument that the same situation could be occurring right now with our presence in this universe. But that is a whole other conversation. The question I would like to throw into the topic, however, is even if all our senses are tricked, would that actually trick our brain? Surely we will retain the knowledge that we are entering a virtual world, at least for a certain amount of time. I don't think I have the capacity to answer this question just yet, but I did want to introduce the existence of doubt here. It may not be so certain what the effects of immersive VR will be on humans. Now, so far, VR has largely seen only success in the gaming world. Because in most cases, gamers have been the target audience. However, the potential is far beyond this. Even with current technology and available products, the, the use of VR stretches much further. But getting to people who use it for these purposes is a different story. First, James, could you talk us through a few of VR's uses beyond gaming? Yeah, so I've done a little background reading on this topic, and VR clearly has many uses. And with each stage of VR that we've just talked about, the um, semi-immersive, the non-immersive, and the fully immersive, there will be expanding uses for it. So initially with the non-immersive VR, we've already been able to view and purchase things online in online marketplaces such as Amazon for the last decade at least. And this is a widespread example of a common use of non-immersive VR. And more shopping is being done online and more immersive VR has come with the promise of being able to try on clothes in an online environment. And this could help us shift to e-commerce even more. So I think commerce is definitely one of those areas that is always looking for greater ways to connect with the consumer. And with more immersive VR, inevitably comes the opportunity to capitalize on on e-commerce. In a different branch, education is also expected by many to benefit from the VR industry. Can you tell us a bit more about this, James? Yeah, so skills training is something um, being used with the latest semi-immersive VR uh, technology as well. And when I was looking at this, um, a few sort of city firms use VR scenarios to train staff, but this is more focused on soft skills. So PwC, one of the big city accounting firms, did a study on the effectiveness of VR learning for soft skills and found people learned up to four times faster in VR. And when we're talking about soft skills, we're, we're talking about public speaking, we're talking about management of tasks and how you communicate and those skills that work in job places. So we're not actually learning how to do the hard skills of a job, but we're learning generic job um, soft skills that sort of apply to lots of different jobs. So I think that is quite an exciting area. And more immersive VR, increasing the experience of training may serve to increase learning speed for students being able to go on virtual school trips for their case studies. And with more complexity, VR could offer more technical training in fields like surgery. And that was one of the ones that I was more skeptical about because this is a clear example of where semi-immersive VR has its downfalls. Now, we looked at PwC using VR to teach soft skills and obviously surgery has a lot of hard skills in it. And 
it's such a complex multi-factor job that combining and it's combining a large range of skills that VR cannot do it justice. Surgery clearly doesn't just start where you spawn in a room with some instruments in your hand. There's a whole process and oversimplifying often complex procedures may carry risks of false confidence. And at this time in our development for these sorts of jobs, in-person learning is still invaluable in my opinion, um, looking at my parents. And this is why it still occurs. Another point is gambling. And when this can be made more immersive than the non, than the current non-immersive virtual gambling that we have at the moment, it would be cool if sort of facial expressions were accurately reflect, reflected online. And this is an industry certainly with a lot of room for growth online. It's a big industry. It's definitely got the capital to spend on development in this. And how many people live right next to a casino? Online platforms for gambling at the moment probably don't live up to casino standards in terms of the experience. And so I think there are some interesting industries that would really benefit from moving to a more immersive VR experience, especially I think globalization, people are still living in one place and these industries need to catch up with the digitalization that's going on. Yeah, of course there is a place for endless enjoyable activities within the metaverse and I hope there will be, uh, like, you know, from music concerts to adventure. And I certainly see myself using some of these when, I, when they become available. However, a huge part of justifying the growth and spending on the metaverse is its impact on productivity. We will see virtual office spaces where colleagues can immersively interact on projects together, uh, meetings taking place with members from across the globe in a physical yet virtual environment, uh, reducing the effect of greenhouse emissions from transport. Uh, also, school classes with international students that do not have to leave their homes and seriously, much more. But you may ask, for example, how is a metaverse meeting any better than those held on Zoom or other video calling apps? Well, as the immersive effect of VR improves, we can hopefully emulate in-person interaction with all the advantages of remote work. We can get the best of both worlds and more. For one, I think we can agree that remote work has had many disadvantages that are difficult to accept as part of a new norm. For example, it can often feel isolating, but being in an office environment customized to your best experience, whether that's lively with all your actual colleagues present or quiet and personal with all the sensory triggers involved. We can drastically improve our working experience this way, right from our homes. We would not need to build or maintain huge physical buildings for new companies to operate or expand, nor would employees need to waste time of their day traveling. And these are just a couple of examples where the cost of effort would be rapidly reduced. However, we must not turn a blind eye to the reality that this may not be the best experience for a lot of people. Even if we achieve a completely immersive world, the knowledge that one is spending so much of our time in a virtual one may feel unnatural. I don't think this is enough to revoke the idea completely, but preservation of natural life may be a necessity to many people and should be maintained. Yeah, I agree with your assertions there, Manav. And before we discuss further the social issues and sort of come to terms and judge the concept, it would be great to truly understand how these virtual reality devices actually work. Um, from the scientific perspective that you can offer and how can they make us feel so immersed in a virtual world and provoke real world responses and emotions to a more immersive level than we have today yeah it's definitely important we discuss this so we actually understand what we're judging um 
So yeah, so virtual reality design engineers use examples of how we interact with the real world to simulate this in virtual environments that make us feel involved through interactive content. So designers have to take into account the physics behind perception, depth, field of view, and much more in order to make what the headset's screen is projecting feel real and simulate how your eyes uh, would respond to these objects and other interactive interactive content in the real world. So as explained earlier, using stereoscopic techniques, each eye has its own screen, receiving different images to create the illusion of depth. There is additionally a stereo or binaural audio system that sends the relevant sound to each ear according to their positions in the virtual environment, similar to what you may have heard as 8D music or 8D sounds. This requires rotational and positional active head tracking for multiple angles and a large enough distance of movement. Various components of the headset include eye tracking sensors, cameras, and a component called an inertial measurement unit. This can include an accelerometer, a magnetometer, and a gyroscope, all helping to track a user's movement and position. These sensors are then guided by software to create interactions with the virtual world accordingly. And where all of these sensors and complex software will be particularly in use is when the Metaverse's virtual avatars are released. I think that was something we were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So these have been shown by Meta to produce lifelike, perhaps photorealistic versions of each person in any virtual space, using the headset to track muscle movement of the face and reproducing this in the virtual world. This will take us steps closer to seamless immersion and interaction with other people in the Metaverse. And just to add to our previous discussion on fully immersive VR, at the base level, We can consider how horror games on a console or computer can cause us to already simulate very real emotions. These emotions would only be amplified in a world where everywhere you look and move is still within that game. Of course, this can be worrying and the impacts on our mental and physical health must be measured. But the truth is, it's your choice to go into a horror game or not. If you don't like how it feels, you won't do it. There is so much to do in such a creative platform that the Metaverse will provide that it is natural for each person to optimize and customize their experience. However, this has additional concerns of addiction and much more. What do you think, James? I'd like to focus in on your last bit there, Manav, because customizing and optimizing experiences is the case with any virtual platforms that benefit from the amount of time you spend on them as they run ads and things like that. So The way that platforms such as Twitter and Instagram keep you on Twitter and Instagram is by showing you content that you are interested in. And I'm actually going to go take TikTok because it is perhaps the most extreme example. You watch videos based on your level of interaction, such as liking it, commenting and saving the video. Um, Or just by scrolling past it, that's a pretty clear signal that you're not interested. This informs TikTok of what you like and what you don't like. And this feeds into the videos it shows you in the future. So You see more of what you want to see. When you go into the search menu straight after watching a TikTok video, it knows the topic of the video. It knows the people in that video, most likely, and will advertise them as the top recommended searches. So TikTok, like many other social media platforms like Twitter, become echo chambers where we interact and watch, read content that aligns with our interests and our beliefs. And this becomes dangerous as content becomes more polarized and drives us down the rabbit hole, as they say, of content. Inevitably, with greater immersion into the virtual content, with semi-immersive VR that we have today, and with a view to fully immersive VR in the future, 
it may be that we feel a greater connection to the content being displayed. And this has all sorts of risks with social conditioning, the way we develop as humans throughout childhood and growing up, particularly the younger generations who will grow up solely with this technology, most likely. And the real natural world provides us with a lot of different experiences, but every aspect of a virtual reality, if it follows the course of TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it can be tapered to match one's own interests. And this could lead to a pretty polarized society where it's very hard to hear and ultimately accept other viewpoints if you gain access to them. This could be another episode because there is so much to talk about here. Um, But yeah, the effects on us as humans then is twofold. Mental health firstly. These platforms I will look at as an activity. And if we are spending more time sitting down or standing in one place, essentially gaming, that is most likely unhealthy or less healthy than going and playing football with your mates. Additionally, the promise of digital connectivity that the phone era promised resulted in us now seeing less connectivity as there are lots of fake accounts, bots, people can act online in a way that they wouldn't be able to get away with in real life and things like that. So people may feel a lot less connected to the natural world um, even though because they've sacrificed that time to connect to this virtual world, which they might not really agree with. And I'm alluding to the horrific treatment of Saka and Rashford after the Euros and the racist comments made by, and I'm not going to call them fans on Instagram. And there I'm talking about the things we can get away with online, that some people can get away with online that wouldn't necessarily pass without consequence in the real world. Yeah, I think there was maybe one prosecution, but nothing like the numbers had they been isolated incidents in the real world. So this could occur to a greater extent in VR, especially with increasingly immersive VR to the point at which we can feel physical pain caused by the contact and this type of abuse could level up. But I should add, I can already think of ways around this and this idea isn't necessarily consistent with the way an immersive platform would work, as I'll describe in a few minutes. But there are definitely innumerable areas on these kind of platforms where this and many other types of abuse could take place. Yes, and these are fairly aloof concerns at the moment, but I think it is important to recognise them so that policymakers can push for protections in this virtual space. And physical health, we haven't talked about that yet. Clearly, for some people who are unable to exercise much, like going on a run, VR and the opportunity of walking around your living room could be a basic step offered by the technology that helps some people achieve greater levels of fitness. So it is all relative. And the most exciting thing for me that supports VR is the omnidirectional treadmill, um, the omnidirectional and speed treadmill that's being developed by a range of firms where you can turn and run at any pace or direction and yet stay in the exact same place. And I would love to have a go on one of them. Yeah, that's definitely exciting. And I, I think individual concepts like this can bring so much change to the quality of our lives. Although my excitement for enjoyment purposes may have to come to rest for a short time, while this technology helps to address important issues at the same time and hopefully prioritizes the right things. Yeah, and coming back to benefiting physical health, I think the fitness opportunities massively outweigh the negatives of people spending more time on these devices because we have this stereotype of people sitting in their rooms, slouched, playing first-person shooters. When we think of VR, we do just think of gaming. 
because that's the target audience at the moment. But there's no reason why VR can't be used outside to promote fitness. And this all depends on policymakers making sure that the technology is used in the right way, because if we're able to use this technology well, we'll be able to get some great benefits. Yeah, the great promise of these technologies is that with regard to the future, we don't know where the possibilities end, or if they do. And the same could be said for the disadvantages, but I have hope that there are solutions, as long as we tread carefully, which is the case for a lot of the things that we discuss in this podcast. So next, and this is quite an intriguing topic, the logistics of the metaverse, how will it actually work as a platform, or what can you infer, um, as clearly we're not part of meta? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the, the short answer is it depends on meta and the other developers. However, what this actually means is the possibilities are endless. So let me break this down. At the moment, there are two main types of VR headsets. Tethered VR headsets are connected to an external computer that runs the game or program itself. This means that the VR headset doesn't require an operating software and instead just pro projects information from the computer to the monitors. Other standalone VR headsets may run on their own operating software, but these may be less powerful. In either case, as part of the metaverse, the user of a VR headset will be able to access various applications and features. However, there are two ways this could work. One, the VR headset will be used as an accessory to a computer. Or two, there will be a metaverse program that all users connect to. Let me explain this. So first, the less exciting but more sensible version is that all of the applications we currently use, in addition to new VR-specific applications, will be updated to include VR integration, allowing the mainstream growth of the use of virtual reality in everyday life. For example, Zoom or any other video calling application that may arise will have a VR feature for immersive meetings as if callers are actually sitting next to each other. The second idea is the version of the metaverse that has caught the eye of the public. This idea is where all users put on their VR headsets and connect to the metaverse program. Within this program, there will likely be a home page or an actual 3D home space where the user can access all the features of the metaverse. For example, there will be gaming applications, chat and calling functions, project workspaces, and all other normal programs that will now have VR integration. The possibilities here are endless, from music making apps where you can physically play each instrument in a virtual room to sports matches with other people, eventually becoming as immersive as possible. In addition to these features is another exciting one, and is similar to that shown in the book and film Ready Player One, which I would highly recommend to those who are interested in what the metaverse could potentially look like depending on the way meta chooses to uh, implement these methods. While many features can be used specifically in isolation through the homepage system, this additional feature would be a virtual world or universe where all humans can interact, travel, and do various activities. Here you could do almost anything a virtual limitless space where you can do things alone or with anyone across the world. You could travel to different corners of this world where activities and features are provided by developers, or you could create your own. I mean, obviously this sounds really compelling. And the phrase that I'm going to be singling in on is the possibilities are endless. And clearly on the developing side, the possibilities may well be endless, but we definitely have to take into account the role of government bodies sort of setting regulations because regulations can prevent that development, right? 
Yeah, I agree. And some of our listeners, again, if we have any, um, may remember our episode on brain chips and Elon Musk's development of Neuralink, in which we discussed some of the harm that was caused when testing the chip on apes. This gave rise to discussion on the importance of regulation in these areas of innovation, and the same must be done here. Yeah, and one of the encouraging things that I saw um, post doing that podcast episode about Neuralink was those developing Neuralink were very keen, um, the scientists were very keen to promote the need for regulation around this to government authorities. And Chile and Spain have been the most proactive two governments in this area. And I think they've been pushing through bills after our last podcast on that, which is encouraging because it means that there are limits being placed to safeguard the consumers. And there are several areas of regulation that VR and frankly, any new technology give rise to. First, you've got intellectual property, which is, and my auntie is an IP lawyer, so she may not like this definition, but I'll try my best. It's the protection of intellectual creation. So if my VR-focused startup creates a game, I don't want the hot VR industry to copy it and my startup suddenly finds 10 other firms are using my game or the key tenants of my game. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does, yeah. So, I mean protecting the innovation that will inevitably occur in a new sector of technology is obviously going to be key. But assuming it's already been laid out well, I would initially think that the current legal and regulatory framework could just be molded to apply to the VR space. And it probably already has to some degree. But it is certainly important and must be considered again for any new form factor, which is likely to invite new challenges. Yeah, and just a quick add-on to that is I think in an area where we're seeing unprecedented things like things that we haven't experienced before um, in terms of immersion there will certainly become more legal challenges with regard to it and privacy and security is a big one that I think falls under this category where we will be giving lots and lots of information to the environment and people within the VR space and the developers of this and the people who run the VR environments which we spend most of our time in And we wouldn't want this information to be used maliciously and definitely in the more fully immersive forms of VR when we might have to give our biometrics and things like that. And I know that's used for logging into iPhones, but there must be a greater degree of that when we have fully immersive VR technologies or getting further down that immersion uh, level. But moving on, I don't want to spend too long on that because, again, we could talk about it for so long. Product liability, injury claims while using wearable hardware and reacting to provocative situations in semi-immersive or fully immersive VR will be bigger in this development of technology than any other. And I'm thinking back to the times where Wii's were a thing that everyone had, the WII, just not to confuse anyone who's listening. And you'd see funny videos of people getting angry at the game and chucking their controllers while they're dancing or skiing. And if you have that, but 10 times more, um realistic then this must be a greater issue the biggest one and something that i think we could do a whole episode on is cross jurisdictional disputes vr isn't based in one state it can be accessed from many different states where the line is drawn with regard to the misuse of data will be different and all of the above regulations will most likely differ across the globe which may lead to significant challenges with regard to implementing policy So I think as we've seen with the charges for um, Apple and the EU stepping up to 
make sure they're only making one. And by regulating the uh, design of charges in the European Union single market, I think institutions of global governance like the UN, like the EU, should be used collectively to form policy, agreed upon by a supermajority to create the basic regulation and legal framework for this area of technology, because I think there are some significant risks that come along with it and a unified global response to make sure that we get it right will go down pretty well with those not right at the top making all the money. So to some extent, you could say this undermines state sovereignty um, and significant divisions could arise from this with different views about data collection and where privacy and online privacy lies. But I think this could be a great example of global governance and a great opportunity of these global institutions using their collective nature to really get this technology right. So we've talked a lot about this. I've taken the stance of more of the social implications. Manav has done a great job of explaining how the technology works and the research behind that must have taken a long time. So thank you very much for going. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. I'd be really interested to hear And I know you're quite excited about this. We might be Mm. excited about different things, me being the treadmill and you about the certain games you can use. But how long do you think we're going to have to wait until you can properly enjoy this technology? Well, I think one factor is whether Meta will even be successful, successful in this area. And there are definitely other companies that are looking to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, I think Apple is uh, entering the AR area, which is something we'll discuss in our next episode. But yeah, it kind of depends on consumers in this at the moment, because uh, I think Meta very recently just released a a new uh, VR headset. It's called Quest Pro 2, I believe. And it's around £2,000. And I I don't see that being mainstream or widespread at all. So yes, they'll need to reduce the prices, um, because, uh, but they clearly need the money in order to, you know, um, fund the research, uh, the further research and experimentation with these headsets and improving their technology. But I feel like com- a company like Meta has enough um, uh, money streams. So I-, I don't think that should be too much of an issue. But yeah, it-, it all depends on that that kind of stuff. Technologically, of how difficult it is to get there, I would say. I would hope for less than 10 years, VR is something that almost everyone will know about. Yeah, it should. I, I, would, I would hope so. Uh, I'd be disappointed if that's not the case. Where there's um, a will, there's a way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's the best I can do. Yeah, and I think you did a good job there of talking about meta, if that's even successful. But there is clearly a broader industry. And although we have talked about meta a lot in this, it's success is definitely dependent upon the success of the industry as a whole, because when I was reading about this topic, there were lots of articles talking about how Meta and other companies like the Quest Pro 2, I think that was the name of the device, all of the prices are fluctuating and they're trying to test the market to see where they can get their best rate of return. And in this stage where there's still a lot of research and development going into the products, it's hard to keep the prices low. Um, But I think with time, we'll see those prices coming down. But obviously, short term, the cost of living crisis, um, real wages going through the floor as a result of long term inflation in the UK, I think for many people, £2,000 
for these devices is completely unaffordable and completely unrealistic, no matter how well you try and justify it to your parents. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the success of the industry is one that can be successful. I think that amount of capital that's being invested into research and development, the amount of buzz around this topic um, is the case. But virtual reality is something, let's not forget, that has been promised for a very long time, decades. We've had visions of virtual reality playing a greater role in our life, but it seems to be quite slow. Maybe that's just testament to the incredibly complicated nature of it. I'm not sure what you think about that. Yeah, I think there we have discussed like so many issues surrounding VR, but I feel like there are solutions for every predicament in this area. Yes, there are issues and it's good to mention them definitely so that so that they can be solved. But these are actual arguments against VR itself. That's a big point there. We're still playing that role of um, very optimistic <laughs> about the future role of this. So, so I, I, yeah, I definitely agree that the ethics, the safety, you know, the expense, the priority, etc. Those are arguments against the rate of advancement, I guess, and also just like the setbacks that VR can have. But as a concept, as a concept itself, I don't see much wrong with VR. Yeah, and I think that that completely depends upon the regulation that we've got in place. And I think that a lot of the tone of where VR goes is dependent on the policy that's in place beforehand. So with current regulation limits on on the non-immersive VR we have at the moment, will very much set the tone for where this can go. But one of the problems with thinking that the possibilities are endless is that that doesn't sound great to the average consumer who is worried about their data privacy and how this technology will affect them. So I think the marketing and the way the firms don't rush to make huge profit on this initially and whether they prioritize short-term goals or long-term goals, I think that's a big point. But the way that Mark Zuckerberg incorporated Meta and shifted lots of his focus onto the development specifically of a VR I think that is testament to the fact that it might not have been a huge business decision just so much as that it was a personal drive of his, as we've seen with sort of Twitter and Elon Musk. We've seen entrepreneurs and CEOs from around the world take that risk at some point. And is this just a risky decision that isn't necessarily going to pay off? Do I feel ultra compelled to own a VR headset? Not really at the moment, because none of my friends have it. I think a lot of it comes down to the way they're going to market it. And I think using Mark Zuckerberg, who <laughs> I don't know, is, is the best way uh, to go about the marketing. But yeah, the marketing is definitely going to be a huge part of whether it finds any success. And of course, the quality of the products themselves. But we, you know, we see, we see trends, we see sudden bursts of growth of random new things every day. And I, I don't see why VR couldn't be one of them. And hopefully it sustains sustains that growth as well i'm not sure i mean you talked about mark zuckerberg not being the best at marketing things and explaining new concepts but i think the funniest thing and i think this is a good closing point i think the best thing about vr would be having fully immersive vr available and mark zuckerberg sitting down in the congress at a congressional hearing trying to explain it to them in very simple terms like he did with his facebook business i think that would be brilliant but any closing thoughts from you? My my opinion on this is that there has been a buzz around this for a long time and it's had a relatively slow rate of growth and there's still huge costs associated with research and development and they don't look to be 
coming down anytime soon or the recent prices of over £2,000 for a headset wouldn't have happened. But I think it is a very interesting and it sounds quite cool when you talk about VR, but I think a lot of my preconceptions about this at the moment are purely from marketing and a lot less about how it's actually achieved, having used it. Okay, yeah. So from me, some of my closing remarks would be, I I definitely want to get the message across of how impactful the implementation of VR could actually be to the quality of our lives if it's done correctly. And I, I don't know, I can't really say whether I trust the leading companies at the moment to get it right. But if it is, and I hope it will be done correctly, it could really be a good thing. I'm using a laptop right now. Uh, we've got all these things that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we wouldn't consider them as things where we'd be depending on as part of our uh, as part of our daily routine. But the implementation of VR, it's another thing that's just going to improve our uh, improve our quality of life and and capabilities of what we can do every day. But I would like to say that I, I, of course, uh, film and media isn't the best way to look in terms of what the future is actually going to look like. But I do think films like Ready Player One and maybe even Wall-E uh, could be hinting at a certain possibility of what our future could look like. And I really hope uh, that's not the way it goes. Of course, the concept of VR itself and Ready Player One is definitely amazing. But then when you look at what Earth looks like, um, completely forgotten about. And yeah. the same thing in Wall-E um, and with like humans just sitting down, uh, staring at screens all day long, eating food. Uh, I do have hope that we can... We can find a better way to implement these uh, new amazing technologies. And that's what this podcast is all about. Hope, you know, discussing these new technologies and hoping humanity finds the right, right way through it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think today we've played a good job at trying to predict the future. Uh, obviously, it's unpredictable. And that's the very thing that's probably exciting most people about this technology. But it seems like our final conclusion is that there is great promise and many benefits to be had from this as we've discussed all episode long but we need to get the tone right with regard to limiting the powers of these firms that are running the vr and that development needs to happen in the first place so thank you very much to everyone listening today and we hope that if you're informed about one little thing to do with vr that you weren't informed about before then we think this is worth your time. And we are very grateful for you listening to our podcast today. Our next episode will be on augmented reality, which is the next step and probably one that we're seeing a lot more in our lives than VR at the moment. And I'm very excited to talk about that with Manav. And until then, we hope you have a lovely Christmas as today we're recording on Christmas Eve and we will see you in our next episode.